Growing up, I was told fasting was a bad idea because my body would eat its own muscle. But the Catholic Church has always had a tradition of fasting. Is she asking her members to forfeit health for holiness? Well, many contemporary doctors and health enthusiasts proclaim a wide variety of fasting benefits, from weight loss to life extension and even fighting chronic disease. This episode of Physically Spiritual will explore how to live the church's teachings on fasting while taking advantage of many of the health benefits associated with the practice. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I've been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I am captivated with discovering the truth about my body and how it relates to my relationship with God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I have discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. As we get started, I want to share some opportunities with you. If you want to support everything we're doing here at Awaken Catholic, consider becoming a member of the Awaken Nation. The Awaken Nation is a community of patrons who, for as little as a cup of coffee a week, uh, support and patronize everything we do here. So go to awakencatholic.org forward slash donate to become a, par- a part of the nation. Also consider downloading the Awaken app. The Awaken app is the best way to get access to all the audio and video shows that we do here, access to discussion boards where you can engage with show hosts and other enthusiasts about the content, and also get access to additional features like music and prayer and bonus content for members of the nation. Go to the awakenapp.io or search for the Awaken app in the uh, iTunes store or your Google Play store. If you're local here in Northwest Ohio or don't mind a little bit of a drive, we have exciting events coming up this weekend. This weekend on Friday, May 21st, there's an event called Why Be Catholic that's going to be sponsored by Awaken Catholic and hosted in Toledo, Ohio, featuring Bishop Daniel Thomas and Jason Everett. This Saturday in Bowling Green, Ohio, there's another exciting event called Sex, Love, and Porn, Fighting the War Against Lust and Pornography, uh, also featuring Jason Everett. For pre-registration, the tickets are just a free will donation. Uh, so it's a great opportunity to come and experience uh, these uplifting events here in Northwest Ohio. And if you want to get access to anything that I am doing or publishing, you can find my website at becominggift.com. And you can find my coaching and spiritual practice, spiritual direction practice there if you want help applying any of the ideas from the show. As we get started, I want to share our Lord Jesus Christ's words to his followers on fasting. He says, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. They neglect their appearance so that they may appear to others to be fasting. And then I say to you, They have received their reward, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you may not appear to others to be fasting, except to your father who is hidden, and your father who sees what is hidden will repay you. This is from Matthew chapter 6. So first thing to note, when Jesus is talking to his followers, he's not saying, if you fast, like it was an option or something that they weren't doing or something that they should do that they're not doing. He says, when you fast, right? This teaching assumes that fasting is happening. And Jesus, of course, was speaking to a primarily Jewish audience. Um, So in that, that cultural context, there was a rich tradition of fasting practices that went along with their lifestyle. 
And today, we don't necessarily have that culture. We live in a world of an abundance of food, an abundance of uh, drink. And you can go through your life and literally never fast unless you make an effort to. So taking that into account that Jesus is assuming that his followers are going to fast, that fasting is a part of the Christian life as it was a part of the Jewish life. And and the practical advice here that we're not fasting to look like we're fasting, to make a show of it, but to wash your face, anoint your head, basically appear as if you would any other day and, and maybe even look better so that the fasting is hidden. The point isn't to make a show of it. So as Christians, we we need to fast with a purity of heart, meaning a singularity of intention that we're doing this for the Lord and not for others and not for our own sake. But we're having a, a purity of heart when we're fasting. Now, is this purity of heart, this intention, contrary to health, though? And the introduction I I asked that question, right? Is fasting something unhealthy? So when the church is asking people to fast, is it um, asking people to harm themselves? Or can we both seek the Lord and give our whole heart to the Lord with a fast and at the same time do something that's actually going to be robust and and helpful for our health? Uh, So I want to start this as we do um, these other episodes on asceticism we've been doing here on season two, looking at it from both a natural lens and a supernatural lens. So let's start with the natural. Uh, Before I get started on it, though, too, I want to just put it in a disclaimer. (laughs) Before you start any fasting practice, you should talk to your doctor. All right, so if you don't have a doctor, get one, Um, especially if you're on any medication or or have any other situation. uh, You need to approach this prudently um, and with supervision, with assistance from a medical professional. So please talk to your doctor before you apply anything that we discuss here in this episode. Um, Of course, I'm not an expert in all things science and health, so I'm standing here on the shoulders of many, um, many doctors and and scientists who have done research in this field. I want to point you to just two different resources. The first is uh, Dr. Jason Fung, his book, The Obesity Code. He's also a co-author in a book called The Complete Guide to Fasting. And in his medical practice, Um, helps many people to both lose weight and fight different metabolic diseases through practicing fasting. And also Dr. Walter Longo, a researcher who's done a lot of work in the field of fasting and has promoted an idea called the Fasting Mimicking Diet in his book, The Longevity Diet. So I would point you to to these scientists and many more, and I'll have a a list of resources in the show notes, different books, different um, speeches you can find from these thought leaders in the space. So I'm standing on their shoulders and sharing a lot of what I've learned from that research. First thing to note is there's a lot of different things that people mean when they say fasting. When when somebody says fasting, what exactly do they mean by that? There's different fasting styles that one of the buzzwords today is intermittent fasting. It's lauded as as a great approach to diet, a great way to lose weight and not really disrupt your lifestyle. So I want to first talk about these diets um, in the context of length, right? How long are you going to stop eating? And of course, in the context of this episode, when I'm talking about fasting, I'm talking about fasting from food, literally not eating. Um, So I would consider, and this is just kind of my own way of looking at it. And and like I said, I've learned this from um, other thought leaders in the space that there's a difference between timed eating and fasting, Meaning one of the ways to approach this is that that during the course of the day, you time up when you're eating 
in order to sort of maximize the effects of fasting while minimizing its impact on your lifestyle. So I would consider any fast less than 24 hours to really be sort of timed eating. You're timing up your eating during the day in order to accomplish certain effects. And then you might have uh, the next step up would be something like intermittent fasting or short-term fasting. This is fasting of, of up to 24 hours or, or over 24 hours, but less than two days. And then you have extended fasting. Extended fasting would be anything two days or longer, um, up to sometimes three days, five days or longer. The, 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 the one man, the longest man in recorded history to do an extended fast um, put himself in a hospital in Ireland and didn't eat for over a year. Um, now, this man was extremely obese, so he, in a sense, had the calories on him to lose. Um, and I don't even know if it's something the Guinness Book of World Records still offers a um, a, a record for um, because of the potential dangers of fasting for that long. Um, but this man fasted for almost or over a year, and I'll put a link to his story in the show notes. Uh, but then there's different... Um, styles of fasting within the context of those different lengths of time. So one thing I mentioned um, earlier was Dr. Walter Longo, and he put out this idea of a fasting mimicking diet. And the idea was that if you eat under a certain amount of calories and certain kinds of nutrients, um, then your body will enjoy a lot of the benefits of fasting while not having to go completely without food. So that's the idea of the fasting mimicking diet is, is a certain, um, balance of macronutrients, meaning protein, carbohydrates, and fat um, in the context being under a certain threshold of calories. And then your body enjoys a lot of the benefits of fasting without actually having to not eat. Another style that some people would propose is a protein sparing modified fast, meaning what you do is you fast from all um, foods that are high in carbohydrate and foods that are high in fat while focusing on things that are just high in protein. Um, this is where the, the term rabbit starvation comes from, and it's from the idea that, that a rabbit, the animal a rabbit, has so little fat on its body that if all you eat is rabbits, you'll eventually starve <laughs> because there's not enough fuel, there's not enough fat on there to sustain your health. So you'll literally starve by just eating protein, um, but some people are proponents of fasting in this style where you just eat lean protein. You may also do like a meatless fast or a vegan fast where you'll take a day or a period of time and fast from all animal products. On the flip side, some people might do a carnivore fast where literally all you eat for a period of time is animal products or just meat. And then you might do like a ketogenic style fast where you do very low carbohydrates um, and then try to bring your body into what's called a ketogenic state or a fat burning state. Um, so these are all different styles of fast that are out there. Um, one more to mention is the idea of alternate day fasting. So you have one day where you don't eat anything from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed. Then the next day you eat and you literally alternate every other day, one day eating and the next day not eating. So you, you may have heard this lingo or saw it on the on the cover of magazines at the checkout aisle or, or heard it on other podcasts. Um, so these are just all the different styles you might choose. Um, so where does this idea of fasting come from? Why do we think it's a good idea? A lot of it's based on a certain understanding of the history of the human body, a certain story uh, that different people use to conceptualize our ancestors and the conditions that brought the human body to be what it is. And uh, the, the theory is that many hunter-gatherers would have experienced regular periods 
of not having food available, whether it was just waking up in the morning and not having a food store available, maybe, um, for example, keeping food in your camp or in your temporary um, housing would have drawn in animals and predators. So maybe they had a practice of not keeping food overnight. So when you woke up in the morning, the first thing you did wouldn't be eat. The first thing you would have to do is to go out and find food. Uh, so the idea is that the human body is well adapted actually to not eat in the morning, going contrary to the popular advice that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And the idea is that you uh, wait to eat until later in the day, sort of mimicking what might have been um, something that happened in our ancestors' life. But it's clear that the human body is actually pretty well suited to go through periods of not eating. Um, and, and it's believed that, like I said, our ancestors would have went through periods of not having food available. Maybe the animal, animals would have migrated or, or, or food would be um, in short supply in the immediate area. So people would have to move to a new area to find sufficient nutrition. Uh, one of the ways I've heard this described is that the human body is kind of like a hybrid car. We have two fuel supplies, one being carbohydrates, which our body turns into glucose and then um, is able to use that for energy and then can store a little bit of it, whether it be um, uh, in the form of glycogen in the liver or in the muscles. And on the other hand, the body also has fat storage. And this is like our long-term storage. And in, in the context of the hybrid car, it's like the gasoline. Um, so your hybrid car, when you start driving, it uses the battery power. And then once the battery runs out, then the gasoline comes into play. So in a similar way, the human body, uh, to a certain extent, will be running on sugar, will be running on carbohydrates, will be running on glucose. And then once the glucose has run out, the ideal is that the body is able to flip a switch, um, sometimes called metabolic flexibility, and can flip into a fat-burning mode where fat is turned into ketones in the blood, and then the ketones are used for energy. Now, the body always needs a minimum amount of glucose, especially the brain to some extent, but the body is capable of a process called gluconeogenesis, where it's able to, to use other substrate to create um, glucose for the body to use. So the body can function pretty much indefinitely um, under certain parameters without dietary carbohydrates through this process of gluconeogenesis. It's, and it's definitely a, a, a topic of debate whether or not that's an ideal state to be in or not, um, but it is possible. Uh, it's important to know that your body stores much less glucose than it does fat in most cases, meaning that the amount of energy that's stored in, in all of the glycogen in your body and the glucose in your blood um, is really only enough for maybe a day or maybe two days at most. Um, but, but all of that energy that your body is stored only lasts so long. And then the long-term storage, right? In order to have energy for a long haul, if food wasn't available for three days, four days, five days or longer, it has to be stored in fat. Uh, the body will not hold on to more sugar than that small amount that it wants to hold on to. And the body will, will use insulin to push that um, we'll use uh, insulin and other hormones to actually push that sugar in the blood and make fat out of it. So if you have more carbohydrate in your diet, more sugar than you need, then your body creates fat out of that glucose um, and won't continue to store glucose indefinitely. Now, the process of turning this body fat 
into energy or utilizing that body fat is a process called lipolysis. Lipolysis, just using the stored body fat for energy. But in order for your body to go through this process of lipolysis, a certain hormonal environment is necessary. And the master switch is actually the hormone insulin, which is also what pushes that glucose into your cells for utilization or for storage. So this, um, this master switch of insulin. So if the body is in a chronic high insulin state, lipolysis is actually impossible or very, very, very limited. Um, so in, in order for the body to utilize that body fat for energy, your insulin levels need to drop to a certain extent. Now, many people today experience something called insulin resistance or, or sometimes described as metabolic syndrome and by some pre, a pre-diabetic state, meaning it's the, the precursor state before a, a full-flung state of type 2 diabetes. And this insulin resistant state means that the, that the same amount of insulin that used to be able to push the glucose into the cells now isn't sufficient. So the body has to escalate the glucose that's utilized. Um, and by doing that, then the body holds on to that glucose for an in, in insulin for a longer period of time. And people get in this almost like hamster wheel effect where the body never switches into a fat burning mode. And this is what it looks like as you eat something. And then once your body uses that glucose up or stores it, then instead of flipping into fat burning, the body just gets hungry again. And so people have this experience where like every three, every two, three, four hours, they get hungry and need another snack. And if, if you get consistently hungry within two, three, four hours, that could be a sign that you're in this state where that fat burning switch is never activating and you're never able to, to turn on and use that long-term storage in the body. All right. Now, this is where the idea of fasting comes into play for, especially for weight loss, but to fight this insulin resistance. Um, there's, there's no greater way to drop the insulin and the glucose in your body than just to not eat. Actually, everything you eat has some um, has some glucose and insulin effect in the body. Even when you eat fat, to some extent, there is some, um, there is some insulin that's excreted in the body just from the process of eating. It signals your body to create a little bit of that hormone. But on the other hand, when you eat carbohydrate, it creates a lot more. It's a lot more acute on how much is created. So this practice of fasting is used by many to combat this cycle of insulin resistance to combat the cycle of being in a, in a high sugar state, in a high insulin state, in order to then flip that switch um, and then start being able to use fat for energy again. Now, there's different things the body does at different levels of fasting, at different lengths of time in fasting. And these correspond to some of these models of fasting that I talked about a little bit ago. Um, my thinking on this is formed a lot by Dr. Mindy Pell, so I'll, I'll link some of her videos and some of her resources in the show notes. So in the first 13 to 15 hours of fasting, what's really happening is your blood sugar and insulin are reducing. And this is signaling to your body that you're entering a fasted state. Now, everything up to like eight hours isn't really a fasted state. It's really just sort of an, eat, a, an eating state and then a post-eating state. And then if you eat within another eight hours, you're eating and then you're in a post-eating state again. Once you extend out past that meal time and get in, 
into a 13 to 15 hour, you're getting into the space where your blood sugar and insulin are low enough to signal that shift in your body. Um, and part of that shift is a, is a creation and escalation of human growth hormone. Some people theorize that this has a, a protective effect on the, the muscle in your body. So the idea is that your, your body's actually smart enough that when you don't have food, it doesn't start eating your muscle. But that human growth hormone is protective to some extent of muscle. And there are, are studies that have been done that suggest that, that different uh, fasting styles are actually more protective of your muscle mass than a caloric restriction to lose weight, to just eat less and exercise more. Um, now, of course, when I, when I say weight loss, I'm assuming that we mean fat loss, right? You could actually lose fat but gain weight if you were growing in muscle. So we're talking about here when we say weight loss, we really mean fat loss. So within this 13 to 15 hours, if somebody is metabolically healthy, so if somebody has that metabolic flexibility, then that fat burning switch is also going to be flipped on. So they're going to start a ketone production based on fat that the body's holding on to. Some people believe that ketones, and some research suggests that ketones have a neuroprotective um, effect, meaning it's, they're sort of good for the brain and also can help with mental clarity. And then that this, uh, this uh, shift in the body also shifts the gut microbiome, that the whole colony of microorganisms that are throughout your digestive tract react to this and that there's a rebalancing in the um, especially in the intestine of the makeup of the microbiome, and that this could have secondary positive effects. Um, so this brings us up to that. Uh, one of the most common intermittent fasting or timed eating recommendations is sometimes called the 16-8, meaning you don't eat for 16 hours of the day, and then you eat all of your food within an eight-hour eating window. So this timed eating, essentially what you would do is you would skip one meal, either at the beginning of your day or at the end of your day. So you would eat breakfast and lunch and then skip dinner, or you would eat lunch and dinner and skip breakfast. So let's say you finish dinner at 6, and you then you wouldn't have your lunch until after 10 a.m. the next day. And that gives you that 16-hour window that allows for this, um, this switch to happen. The beginning of escalation of human growth hormone, ketone production, the lowering of blood sugar and insulin, and the beginning of shifts in your gut microbiome. Now, all of these are generalizations, right? Everyone's body is going to be a little bit different and a little bit unique. Um, so it's really sort of a process of learning your own body that's essential. Somewhere within the ballpark of 17 hours to a day, um, people believe that a process called autophagy may start in the body. So this process of autophagy was discovered recently. I, th I think actually the person that discovered it won a Nobel Prize. And it's a process of cellular repair and cellular death. So the process of autophagy is an intelligent process the body goes through to recycle um, unused and unwanted cells. So the body is able to select damaged cells, cells that have maybe um, replicated inaccurately, cells that are no longer necessary or cells that are old. And they, they die off, and then it also can stimulate a growth of new cells um, and, and a growth of um, an activation of stem cells. There was an MIT study that, that found that just 24 hours of fasting stimulated intense intestinal stem cells and had a regenerative and healing effect on the intestinal tract. And a lot of chronic diseases like 
um, Crohn's and um, irritable bowel syndrome and, and others start with the gut, with damage to the gut lining or other issues with the gut. So if, if we're able to stimulate intestinal stem cells, that could be potentially very helpful for people who struggle with these conditions. A 36-hour fast would be kind of the next plateau. So this would be that alternate day fast where you go from dinner, you don't eat for a whole next day to breakfast the next day, and that gives you about a 36-hour window. So this is sufficient time for even people who experience insulin resistance for that insulin level and glucose level in the blood to start to shift down. Um, so this is a tool that's often used for people who are in this pre-diabetic state to start to, to reverse that trend of insulin resistance and start to be able to unlock body fat. Like I said before, um, definitely talk to your doctor um, before taking this on, especially if you have um, any diabetic condition or pre-diabetic condition. 48 hours, now we're getting into the extended fasting window. 48 hours, some research suggests that within 48 hours that there's an increase of antioxidant production in the body, right? In, endogenous, so in, in your own body. People talk about these antioxidants that we eat in our diet and that they have um, cancer-fighting effects potentially. Um, but our body has the, the power to actually make its own antioxidants and this production is stimulated within 48 hours of fasting. Um, also within this 48 hours, there's a shift in a hormone called dopamine, which is a pleasure hormone in the body. It signals um, a reward center in the brain. So that a 48-hour fast can have an effect of resetting the dopamine effects in the body. Uh, we can get in this cycle of um, dopamine resistance or being overexposed to dopamine, whether it be from hyperpalatable foods or, or just the way that media affects our body. So this extended fast can start to reset that dopamine effect in the body. And then finally, within a 72-hour fast, so this is three days, we start to see an increase of stem cell activity and stem cell secretion in the body. So some people use this kind of extended fasting, and, and they believe it, it could have positive effects from things like having anti-cancer effects, right? The, the increase of stem cell work, the autophagy in the body, getting rid of unwanted, damaged, and, and unhelpful cells, and then um, the increase of stem cell activity, that there could be this cancer-fighting effect to this long-term fasting. Um, so within this three-day window, though, most of these positive effects of fasting are in place. And some people will, will extend that out to try to augment those effects. But really, that three-day window, um, you'll see most of the positive effects that could come out of it. There are some possible drawbacks to fasting though. You know, it isn't like a, a, a cure-all, a magic. And I think many popularizers of fasting might overstate or oversimplify the positive effects on the body. Uh, in, in, in lived life and human life, it's not just that simple all the time. So here are some possible downfalls. You know, fasting actually puts your body in a more sympathetic state, uh, a sympathetic meaning a fight flight state. It activates your body um, to be energized, right? To be on edge a little bit. Now, some people as a result of being in the sympathetic state will experience like a sharpening of their attention, the ability to focus on a task for a longer period of time or find some um, energizing effect to it. But if you're already a little agitated, maybe you have uh, uh, some um, 
uh, propensity for anxiety, or you already tend to be in a bit of a sympathetic state, fasting might put you over the edge. You might be too agitated from fasting. You may experience increased anxiety or, or an inability to pay attention because you're overstimulated. Uh, so it may have this possible downfall. You may also struggle with some psychological thing around weight. Maybe you've struggled with an eating disorder in the past or you struggle with body dysmorphia where sort of the mental picture you have of your body doesn't match the actual reality of your body. So fasting could be part of an unhealthy cycle for many people of uh, a way to where it be a sort of a punishing of the self or it be um, tied with um, with becoming underweight. And some people may also just overdo it, right? Whenever we fast, it has an effect of lowering the metabolism, right? Metabolism is sort of like a thermostat in your house. So, so the thermostat keeps the house at a stable temperature. So what happens is when you eat, the thermostat goes up, your metabolism revs up, deals with that food, and then settles back out. When you don't eat, your metabolism will slowly reduce and then we'll, we'll return once food is available again. But what your body is looking for is actually a, a steady state um, where there's not too much energy and also not enough energy. So you're, you're, um, you're, uh, your body's going to adjust to your caloric intake. So if you're fasting too much, it could have the effect of pulling that metabolism too low. So fasting should always be coupled with feasting. Right? In alternate day fast, the idea isn't actually to re just reduce your overall number of calories, even though it likely will do this just because of what's happening to what's going on um, in your brain with your hunger hormones in the process. Um, but that, that fasting day should be mat matched with a feasting day where you're actually eating more than what you normally would in order to rev that metabolism up to take on the calories and the nutrients your body needs because you don't want to draw down the essential nutrients that your body needs. So you don't want to overdo it. And especially if you're already underweight or at an ideal body weight, fasting might not be a great tool for you. Um, it might not be necessary. And there may be other ways to gain some of these effects. Or like I said, you want to couple the fasting with feasting and be a little more cautious with it. All right. So that was a quick tour on fasting from a natural perspective. Now let's talk a little bit about fasting from the supernatural perspective. From the perspective of faith. First, just to distinguish fasting from temperance. This is a great paragraph from St. Ignatius of Loyola's Spiritual Exercises. This is from the 10th edition of the first week of the exercises. He's talking here about the mortification of the body. And he's saying the first way, the first way is to eating. That is to say, when we leave off the superfluous, it is not penance, but temperance. It is penance when we leave off from the suitable and the more and the more, the greater and better, provided that the person does not injure himself and that no notable illness follows. All right, so there's some great wisdom in this passage, but the key here is the distinction between fasting and temperance. All right, if we're not having something superfluous, if we're just not eating something that's unnecessary, let's say like sweets, an excessive amount of, of sugar in our diet, maybe just an excessive um, amount of rich food or, or caloric beverages, right? That's not actually fasting to cut those things out. It's just temperance. 
Like it's just being sensible. It's cutting out things you don't need. We get into the fasting realm when we're cutting out something that's suitable to us, something that in a normal context and, and over the long term we actually need. And he's saying that the more we can do this, the better, but to a limit. So we shouldn't be injuring ourselves or damaging our health or causing um, disease on the other hand. So there's a great balance to it. But this difference between fasting and temperance, both very important, um, but we shouldn't just be doing something sensible, something temperate and think we're fasting. Uh, So the first reason to fast that he mentions here is the idea of mortifying the flesh, to mortify the flesh. What does it mean to mortify? That word mortify means uh, mortal or to recognize that we're, we're weak, mortal like the word death, our mortality. So to, to mortify the flesh is, is re- remembering that what life is really all about, that life is about the life to come, that we're living for heaven, that we're living for the Lord, that, that the gift of faith adjusts our, our end, adjusts our vision toward heaven, toward eternity, and toward God. So we mortify our flesh to direct our passions, our attractions, and our will to the things of the Lord instead of to the things of the world. So we're literally denying ourselves the things of the world in order to raise our passions and our senses up to the things of the Lord. And this can, of course, include things other than food. I'm a huge proponent of media fasting. I think that's uh, probably even more than food, something we go overboard with um, today. But in this episode, we're talking specifically about food. The other thing we're doing when we're um, fasting is we're offering it up. Right? The, the Lord says that some demons can only be cast out through prayer and fasting. So there's something about prayer and fasting coupled together where there's a, a power that's not there when these things aren't coupled together. So we can pray and fast for something. It's kind of like a one-two punch. I've heard it said that that praying without fasting is kind of like being in a boxing match with one of your arms tied behind your back. Uh, so entering spiritual warfare, this battle we have against the powers and principalities of the world, um, is a powerful way to seek the Lord's favor and to seek the Lord to intervene in a certain situation. Fasting also connects us to the sufferings of the poor. In, in many parts of the world, poverty goes hand in hand with a lack of food. And if, if we never have a sense of that lack, if we've never experienced that for ourselves, can we really enter into their experience with true empathy? Now, it's not going to be exactly the same because you could choose to eat, but you can choose to have that experience. You know, some people will have these experiences where they get together for a day and and don't eat together to have this uh, experience of what it might be like to be in one of these states. Uh, And it's also a good idea that that when you're then giving up that food, right, then you're not paying for food. So you could take the money that you save by not eating and donate it to the poor to help alleviate other people's hunger. But by giving something up, we can connect our heart with the suffering that others are going through in the world. And finally, when we're fasting, it's a great way to make space for prayer. It's a great way to make space for prayer, right? We're all busy. You only have so much time. So one of the side benefits of fasting is you're not eating. (laughs) So you're freeing up literally an hour or two of your day that you wouldn't normally have available to you. And it's a great time to make space to pray more, right? To add that holy hour that you never have time to make, to take an extra 20 minutes to reflect on the scripture, to say a a rosary that you never have time to finish. So by fasting, you're making space for other things 
in your life? All right, let's circle back to that question we started with. Are, are, is fasting for health and fasting for holiness compatible ideas? And to, to approach this question, I want to start with the Catechism. Paragraph 1430 of the Catechism says, Jesus' call to conversion and penance, like that of the prophets before him, does not aim first at outward works. He uses the term sackcloth and ashes, fasting and mortification, but at the conversion of the heart, interior conversion. Without this, such penances remain sterile and false. However, interior conversion urges expression in visible signs, gestures, and works of penance. Right, so there's a recognition that we can be fasting for the wrong reasons, meaning if we're not at all fasting for the Lord, if it's not directed toward uh, a godly purpose, and on the other hand, if it's if we're making a show of it, if we're doing it to brag or or to just be seen as someone, then the fast could actually be for our spiritual destruction. Right, it can be an act of pride, an act of vanity, and can be harmful to our spiritual life. But on the other hand, if we are going through conversion, it's going to be manifested in outward signs, right? So our, our, our faith isn't just an internal thing. It's something we're expressing with our actions. Faith and works always go hand in hand. All right, the next paragraph, 1431, says, Interior repentance is a radical reorientation of our whole life, a return, a conversion to God with our whole heart, an end of sin, a turning away from evil with repugnance toward the evil actions we have committed. At the same time, it, it entails the desire and resolution to change one's life with hope in God's mercy and trust in the help of his grace. This conversion of heart is accompanied by salutary pain and sadness, which the fathers called anime cruciatus, affliction of spirit and repentance of heart. Right, So what we're called to do is this conversion of heart, this radical reorientation of our whole life to the Lord. Right? We're, we're giving our whole self to him. And so there's going to be both an affliction in it, a suffering in it, and there's going to need to be a repentance in it, meaning I'm going to need to turn away from what I've been doing wrong, repent of it, to be sorry for it, to ask the Lord's mercy in it. And also there's going to be an affliction in it. Right, So there's a suffering by recognizing my, my own wickedness from my past. And on the other hand, then giving my life to the Lord, there's going to be a mortification of my senses. It's going to be difficult, right? The things that I used to do that I found pleasure in and solace in and comfort in, I need to give up to seek and find comfort in the Lord. All right. So in the midst of this, um, I want to propose that fasting for health and fasting for holiness are not contrary to each other, but complementary to each other. Health is a part of holiness and holiness is a part of health. Now, this doesn't mean that uh, health isn't just a lack of disease because of course, many disease states that might be out of our complete control. So there isn't a correlation between health and holiness like the people of the scripture believed. But we do know that that disease and, and, and falling out of health is a secondary result of sin or a distant effect of sin. Um, and, and on the other hand, um, it's ideal that we do have health, right? That the body does function well, that we're able to give ourselves to the service of the Lord with a long life. Now, a lot of the saints do experience illness, do experience physical afflictions, and, and these should be embraced and accepted from the Lord. Um, and we shouldn't just live our life 
just seeking wellness and seeking feeling good. Um, but on the other hand, we shouldn't just accept illness um, in a passive way as if there's no solution. Right? We need to, to seek the Lord with our whole heart. And part of that is seeking the perfection and healing of our body, right? To live a lifestyle that's in accord with our design and in accord with our nature. So from this perspective, fasting for health and fasting for holiness aren't incompatible. Now, it's important that our heart is directed correctly, right? Because if we're fasting for vanity, for pride, just for physical health, if that's our primary motivation, we're certainly going to be off track, right? So this is, in a sense, a narrow way in a way that, that we need to constantly um, search our own heart. Um, but we can approach the fast. We can approach fast. We can approach our penances uh, with, with a sense of, of trust because if it's in accord with faith and it's in accord with reason, it's also going to bring about health of the body. So we can approach our fasts for the Lord, also understanding that they're going to bring about health and regeneration in our body. There's this great harmony between faith and reason in these practices. What does the church actually ask of its members, though? Like, what's the fast that we're required to do? Um, in 1438 of the Catechism, it says, The seasons and days of penance in the course of the liturgical year, the season of Lent, the 40 days before Easter, and then Fridays, every Friday, in memory of the death of the Lord are more intense moments of the church's penitential practice. These times are particularly appropriate for spiritual exercise, penitential liturgies, pilgrimages, and signs of penance, voluntary self-denial, such as fasting and almsgiving, and fraternal sharing, charitable and missionary works that we're doing together. So there, there is, I think, a common opinion today that the practice of fasting on Fridays is no longer something that Catholics do, and that's actually inaccurate. We need to go to canon law to see this. Uh, this is the current code of canon law enacted the church. So the church law, paragraph 1250, says the penitential days and times in the universal church are every Friday and the whole of the whole year and the season of Lent. So these are the penitential seasons. Um, and this is one of the precepts of the church is observing the days of fasting and penance the church puts forward. 1251, abstinence from meat or from some other food as determined by the Episcopal Conference is to be observed on all Fridays unless a solemnity, meaning a feast day, falls on that Friday. And it's also to be observed on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday at the beginning and end of the season of Lent. So this is still the universal law of the church. On paragraph 1252, it says the law of absence binds those who have completed the 14th year and up to, I think it's the age, yeah, until the beginning of the 60th year, right? So there's a prudence in it that the church isn't asking young children to do this, nor is it asking the elderly to do this. Then 1253 says the conference of bishops can determine more precisely the observance of fast and abstinence. Now I'm going to link a document uh, from the bishops of the United States, right? We're recording in the United States, and I recognize you may be listening or watching this anywhere in the world. Um, but in the United States, our bishops have actually petitioned for um, Fridays not to be a day of observance from fasting from meat. But that that is still the universal law of the church. So if we don't abstain from meat on Friday, every Friday, we actually are called to intentionally do a different suitable penance 
or abstinence, some kind of fasting during Fridays. So if we're just on neutral, right, if we're not doing any fasting or penance or abstinence on Friday, we're actually breaking the law of the universal church. So I recommend to people to just do the meat thing, right? It's what the universal church still does, and it's a really simple way to do it. Now, if if you don't want to do it that, or maybe that doesn't suit your lifestyle or your diet, um, or or really isn't a penance for you, right? Because seafood isn't included in that, so you could go out for a nice lobster dinner or something like that, and it might not actually be a kind of fasting, right? You can integrate one of these other models of fasting, right? You could do a twenty four hour fast, you could do a complete fast for the day, you could do a fasting mimicking diet where you hold your calories and your macronutrients under a certain level. You could do the no meat thing or you could do the only meat thing, right? But you could adopt one of these styles of fasting that day. You might also choose to take on a media fast or a fast from something else during that period of time. But as Catholics, we're still required to fast on Fridays. It just doesn't necessarily have to be meat if your bishop's conference um, has asked for that exception, has made that exception for your country. So make sure you're doing some kind of fasting on Friday. And everyone's still required all the Fridays of Lent, and especially um, Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, to take on these fasts that the church prescribes. All right, how should we think about fasting other days of the year? First, like I said before, if you don't have a doctor, get a doctor. Talk to your doctor before you do any kind of extreme change in your lifestyle, especially if you have any chronic illness or anything like that. At least go and and make sure it's not going to be harmful to you. Um, now, the, the more, of course, the more moderate styles of, of fasting, like a 16-hour, more of a timed eating kind of thing, is less dangerous than going multiple days. Um, but the, the, when you fast too, it's important to make sure you're, you're still getting minerals, meaning salt, magnesium, potassium, calcium in, in you, and you might want to supplement those. And it's important that you hydrate. Some people think that up to half of the hydration we take in is from the food we eat and not just the liquid we drink. So it's important that while you're fasting, you're supplementing your your minerals and you're also doing extra hydration um, along with those minerals in order to make sure that you're not dehydrating yourself because that's really the most dangerous and most concerning thing. The next thing that you want to be concerned about is that your blood sugar gets too low. And this might be the case. Some people that experience blood sugar getting too high, it can also swing down to being too low. Now, if you're metabolically healthy, if you're able to make this switch between fat burning and sugar burning, um, it's unlikely that that will happen. The body can handle it. But if there's something disrupting that switch, then your, your insulin can stay high and your sugar can get too low and that can be dangerous. So it has to be monitored. You have to be careful about that. The next thing you consider is what's your context, right? What's your story? Like I said before, if... You've had some kind of eating disorder in your past. If you struggle with any other psychological struggle, then fasting from food might not be in your best interest, and you should consider some other form of fasting, right? What's your context? Like, what's your current body weight? If you're underweight, it might not be a great choice either, right? If if you have a lot of weight to lose, it could be a good option for you, right? If you're metabolically healthy enough to handle the fasting style that you've chosen for yourself, um, and then on the other hand. Like I said before, you don't want to overdo it. So understand and answer that question in the context of your life. And then finally, what are you trying to accomplish? What are you trying to accomplish? 
Some people will do this alternate day or 24 hour fasting because it increases their human growth hormone. And then at the end of the fast, they'll actually stack a workout. And so that workout, they're trying to take advantage of that boost of human growth hormone to help build muscle and get stronger. So the human growth hormone escalates to protect muscle. And then they do a hard workout at the end of that. And then they eat after the workout. And by doing that, then they're both raising the human growth hormone, and then they're adding in the nutrient that would be necessary to build that muscle, right? So you might use fasting as a tool to build muscle. You may also use fasting to lose weight. When I say that, remember to lose fat. And so what you're doing there is you're lowering your insulin and glucose in order to flip that switch for your body to turn the stored body fat into ketone bodies. You may also be choosing to fast for a purely religious purpose, right? You don't have to be seeking health to fast. And like I said, everyone's required to do this minimum amount of fasting that the church asks. So fasting can be a great way, like I said, to flip that dopamine switch. Maybe you struggle with a lot of sins of the flesh, right, of, of pleasure seeking in your life. So you might do some fasting to flip that switch over. Maybe you are, are struggling with some kind of chronic disease, and, and you want to experience the potential healing effects. So the, the longer term fast might make sense in order to flip on those stem cells and turn on autophagy and also possibly um, help the regeneration of different parts of the body. Right? All of the research I would say on fasting is, is new to some extent. Right? So it's so like I said before that some people who laud it can, I think, overemphasize the positive benefits and underemphasize the potential downfalls. So I think approach this cautiously, but we can also approach it with a certain um, amount of trust, right? That if we're healthy, that by doing what the church is asking us to do, and then maybe even going further and, and seeking more penance in our life, we're not actually damaging our body. We could simultaneously be be growing in supernatural life by giving our whole heart, mind, and soul to the body in a more extreme way. And on the other hand, doing something that corresponds with, with the history of the human body in order for it to heal and to flourish and to have a long life in service of the Lord. This show and all media on Awakened Catholic is made possible by the Awakened Nation and the Hollow app. The Awaken Nation is a community of people like you who support all things Awaken for as cheap as a cup of coffee a week and get access to exclusive content. Learn more by visiting awakencatholic.org slash donate. Hollow is the only audio-guided Catholic prayer app focused on contemplative prayer and traditional Catholic meditation such as Lexio Divina, Daily Examine, and the Rosary. We here at Awaken all use Hollow every day and love it. To learn more or give it a try, visit hello.app slash awaken.